Welcome to the Fisherman's Ferret Podcast. We're sitting four deep today. I got Jace and Sam here, and then we got special guest Donnie Obert, and we're going to talk a little bit about what makes Captain Donnie, Captain Donnie. There's deer in the meadow, frogs in the pond, a place up the river where the fish are getting long, bass in the lilies, crappie in the reeds, walleye on the rocks and pike in the weeds. There's a fella down the road who's a real fishing man, give you a stringer for the frying pan. Northland, fish and tackle, fisherman's favorite, it's a fisherman's favorite. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, it's going to be a really exciting show. Before we get into it though, we want to talk a little bit about what we have going on. Uh, it's that time of year where everyone's planning their trip up north, so make sure to check out Northland's uh, ice kits. we got a bunch of lake-specific sp- kits that work great for uh, Devil's Lake, Red Lake, uh, uh, Lake of the Woods, Rainy Lake. Relax. Uh, Blacks, all those areas, so really good one-stop shop uh, to get you stocked up for those kits. So available exclusively on our website, uh, so make sure to check them out. But uh, now let's get into the, the meat and potatoes of it. We got uh, Captain Donnie aboard. Welcome. What's going on, fellas? We're, uh, before we started this, I could tell you were getting into the groove of this, Donnie. You are hearing yourself talk and... Yeah, yeah, it's... Um you know, I've spent some time in front of the camera before, normally with no clothes on. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know if you can use that. <laughs> Here, pull this a little closer, too. I, I like to keep things light and airy. That's one thing that makes Donnie super fun to be in the boat with. I've heard only good things from his clients. Well, I, I do like to keep things fun. I mean, you can't... Uh, if you're not having fun, then what's the point? That's right. Yeah. No, I, I like... To describe you as I, I met you for the first time last year. I went up to your mm-hmm. place and went ice fishing. Mm-hmm. And I came back and I told people, Donnie's the guy that I met him for the first time in person that day. But after I was done fishing with him for eight hours, I felt like I knew him for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah I've, heard, I've heard that before. Uh, I take that as a compliment, actually. You know, uh, if, if you, if you, um, I like to treat people like they're my old high school buddies. I mean, you know, fishermen are, are pretty much the same everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're all we're all in it for the same thing for the most part. So you already have that instant connection. Um, you know, a little bit of conversation, a little bit of poking around, and you can kind of figure out what makes a guy tick and find your common bond, and you you go from there. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, about your history of fishing and where you got into fishing, because like. We talked about Tom Wynn previously. You have a little little bit of an unconventional path to where you are <laughs> now. So uh, where did Donnie grow up fishing? Um, how did he kind of start fishing and doing all that stuff? All right, all right. So I grew up in Mora, Minnesota, which is an hour north of Twin Cities and about 20 minutes south of Mille Lacs. Um, so I, I grew up fishing Mille Lacs. Uh, my dad was a big pike fisherman, you know, so we spent good grief countless days uh pike fishing on Mille Lacs you know in a in a Lund Mr. Pike 16 uh that's probably my earliest memories of fishing we had a cabin in Cohasset um you know just down the road here so we fished on the river some and some of the smaller lakes Uh, you know so I did grow up fishing and then uh I joined the Air Force and and did that for some years six years and and then uh 
then I built skyscrapers and, and parking garages and water treatment plants, heavy commercial industrial concrete for uh, 20 years. And, uh, you know, had boats and kind of casually fished. Uh, into my into my 30s, my late 30s, I actually took musky fishing very seriously. And and if you know if you guys have gone down that road, you know, you know how what a rabbit hole that is. It can be a dark path. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> an expensive path. You know, and then um, because of my life in construction, actually, is is uh, my shoulders started giving out. And one day I just kind of said, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to have to figure out walleye fishing. I, I came into walleye fishing kind of begrudgingly. You know, yeah. I wanted to to musky fish until I couldn't anymore. And uh, and I kind of did. So uh, one day I was just <clears throat> fed up at work. Uh, we were empty nesters at 42. And um, the opportunity to start guiding full time just it just kind of happened. It wasn't mm-hmm. some grandiose plan. I came home from work mad about something and and hooked onto my boat, and I said, I'm going up to Rainy Lake for 10 days. And when I came home, I had a, a job offer, and I said, I'm I'm doing it. I sold the house and, uh, you know, I had to finagle a few conversations with my wife. Was You know, was not, uh, I would say, was not immediately on board, uh, but she did come around and, and has supported me, you know, magnificently. Uh, it's kind of kind of just grown from from there, you know. Yeah. Did you pick Rainy Lake for any reason? Where did you fish there before, or was it just like throw a throw a dart at the map and that's where it landed? Um. So so I had spent a significant amount of time in Voyagers National Park. Okay. Uh, so some of that time was on Cabotogama. Some of it was on Namakin. And a little bit of it was on Rainy. Um, the job offer came from a guide service on Rainy. And so, um, you know, I kind of stepped back and, and looked. Oh, it's a, you know, it's a really complex system. Um, there's there's a lot. It, it's a tough fishery, actually. It doesn't fish con- like conventional walleye fisheries. It and uh, in my mind, I thought, well, if, if a guy wants some job security, you got to be able to do this where other people can't. Yep. And there's a, you know, there's a steady flow of tourists because of the national park. Um, so to me, all of those things kind of played into saying yes to the job offer. And um, we we bought a house on uh, right on the shores of the Rainy Lake there and I just, I'm, I'm kind of an all or nothing. I mean, you guys yeah. have known me for a little <laughs> bit now. You know, when I say I'm going to do something, it's it's everything I got. So yep. uh, I was either going to make it or go bankrupt. <laughs> so I said, we still got a little money in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> You're still guiding. Still, still guiding, yeah. So what, uh, what were some of your biggest challenges getting into that first year guiding? Uh, okay, so my biggest challenges were I went into it um, – Kind of with the <clears throat> with the thought that I was going to be a musky and pike guide. I would be the guy within the business that took those trips okay. because I was not an experienced walleye angler. Like I had like one season of poking around the walleye world, and uh, I learned pretty quickly that if you don't <laughs> if you don't take walleye trips, you don't eat. So <laughs> yeah. um, you know a big Part of the challenge for me was I was learning how to catch walleyes with customers in the boat. Yeah. Like, so, so I, you know, I was 
pretty good at, at navigating tough water. You know, I'd done plenty of that and reading maps. And um, But, man, as, as far as walleye fishing, it seemed that first season like, you know, now looking back, I realize there's seven or eight very distinct patterns, you know, over the course of a, of a year. Yeah. And, you know, going into it right away was pretty simple because we were – you know, pitching jigs and plastics. Well, I mean, if, if you've done any bass fishing or, or, you know, musky or pike fishing, you, you know, you can navigate shallow water and, and find warm water bays. And so all of that kind of played into my strengths. But as soon as those walleyes pushed out, man, it was a whole new world for me. And uh, so it kind of felt like every time I had a, a technique kind of dialed, you know, like, okay, I'm going out super confident you know, and, and you would go out and, and where you caught 80 yesterday, you'd catch 30, you know, and then the next day you'd catch 15 and you hang on to what has been working instead of making the adjustment. You know, all the other experienced guides were, you know, I would call them and, and I'd say, to, hey, man, I'm, you know, I'm kind of getting my butt kicked here. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're all, we're all over here now doing this, you know. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you know. So so then you go buy a bunch more stuff, you know, and, and then learn another technique. Well, that happens over and over your first year. Now, now, as I go through the season, I have those first couple of days where the numbers start dipping, and I go, I know what's next, yeah. right? I have historical reference on this body of water, okay, when this bite starts dipping, they're going over here. We're going to change a few things up, throw on some different technique, and away you go, and you're right back into them, you know, where you don't struggle those five or six or seven days of transition. Like, you see it in real time. The bite's dipping. They're moving. Time for something else. Yep. You know, so it's easier to make those adjustments. I'm pretty sure you told me this before, but do you keep, do you keep like, a, a record of, of the season and – I keep um, over 28s I keep track of. Okay. Uh, otherwise, I, I, I will tell you an interesting story about using the clicker. You know, I know a lot of walleye guys, they love that clicker. And what I can tell you from a guide's perspective is all the clicker does is steal joy. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I can have – you know, a group out and we catch, say we catch 60, 60 walleyes, right? And we're high-fiving and hugs and, and they just think it's the greatest day ever. Yep, yep. And you get to the resort and drop them off and, you know, they're they're chatting with people at the bar or the cleaning shack or the gas dock and, you know, those people caught 80. Yeah. And all of a sudden, your people that caught 60, they had a they kind of feel like they got cheated a little. The clicker is for the captain's pride. The clicker does, I I truly believe the clicker does nothing for your customers. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, if you catch 60 walleyes at the end of the day, you come in, you go, we probably caught 82. (laughs) You know what I mean? It it really, the only thing I, I believe the only thing the clicker does is, is it steals joy and happiness from your customers. What I've learned from people and I'm guilty of it myself but I also take into account when people, you get the guy that goes out there and he catches 100 fish every time he goes out there. And what I've come to realize, when you actually count and use the clicker. It's probably 62. That, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, might catch, you might catch 20. Sure. But it felt like 100 because it was so much fun. Yeah. And so when a guy goes out and tells you he caught 100 and you're like, 
no, I was just out there, you know, like a local <laughs> lake around here. No sure. way you caught a hundred. But I was like, I bet, you know, I respect that because the fishing was good. Sure. And you had a hundred fish, a hundred fish worth of fun, even uh, though you might only caught 10. A hundred fish experience. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 hundred fish days do happen. Uh, and, and on rainy day, actually, it's not that infrequent, yeah. um, but you don't have to catch a hundred to have a good time. You don't have to catch a hundred to have an amazing memory. Well, and that was one thing I was going to kind of uh, transition on is when you said, you know, you're fresh to walleye fishing, you started guiding. I bet one year fishing every day on Rainy Lake, you gain <laughs> the knowledge of fishing for 10 years. Sure. Once a week on any other sure. body. In, sure. In so you got in front of that many walleyes, right? Sure. So, so that's actually easy math to figure out. Right. So your neighbor, Dave, he's a, you know, he's got 10 years experience. He fishes every other weekend all summer. That's 13 weekends. That's 26 days. I run 275 trips a year. I have 10 years worth of neighbor Dave's experience in one season. Yeah. Yeah. On top of that, I don't necessarily spend time every day looking for fish. I know where I left them yesterday. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. okay, well, you know, with this wind-blown point, the wind hasn't changed. I know they're there. We don't have, we don't necessarily have to scan and scan and scan. I mean, I'm going to drive right to them. Yeah. Here we go. You know, so you save some time that way too. But, yeah, the experience you gain doing it every day, I mean, just the stuff you learn by accident, right. <laughs> you, you yeah. know, takes takes people years to learn. So it, it is pretty fast learning curve. And how many years do you have under your belt uh, now? Six years full-time. So 60 Dave Six. years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dave's, Dave's, yeah. Dave's, his boat's down to the grandkids already. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out, Dave. Shout out to Dave. You <laughs> yeah. were a good mentor. So the number of fish that you catch in a day is also, you know, dependent on the day, like that day that you're out there, the time of the year. And you might only catch 20 that day, but you caught your biggest walleye of the sure. day or of your life. Sure. And that's, that's different than catching 80 to 100. Sure, sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, the goal's not 100 every day. The goal, the goal, the goal, uh, let me, uh, let me just tell you an interesting, an interesting maybe uh, viewpoint. So, here's the question I get asked probably more than any is, well, when's the best time to come up there? Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, that question kind of drives me a little bit nuts. Like it, it almost insinuates that you're taking same money when the opportunities are less. Yeah, right. you know. So, yeah. so I always counter that question of when's the best time to come up with how do you want to catch them, mm-hmm. or is there a technique that you would prefer to get better at or learn about? You know, there's. There's, I mean, we're, there's, I start the spring and we're throwing, you know, sometimes throwing stick baits in two feet of water yeah. and catching walleyes. And, you know, then we, you know, then we're pitching jigs and plastics or pitching jigs and live bait. And, you know, then we might be, you know, trolling, you know, rumble shads on spinning gear. And then, you know, I mean, there's so many different techniques that, that I can kind of get somebody, well, geez, you know, I've never done it this way. You can catch walleyes doing that. And you're like, yeah, okay, come up in, yeah. in June, you know, and, and I'll show you. And so you can you can kind of direct somebody to what fits that, their definition of the best. Mm-hmm. Like the you know the best is a question in the fishing industry that drives me crazy because you know me and Charlie might do 
the best, in my opinion, might not work for how Charlie fishes or how Sam fishes. Mm-hmm. You know, so the you know when you people use that phrase, oh, what's the best? Well, the best is is an objective way to look at things. Yeah, I'd if, rather I'd rather catch. 10 pitching jigs and plastics than 100 oh, trolling cranks. I do love pitching jigs and plastics. <laughs> I think the same thing goes for people that want to catch a couple or a 28 plus compared sure. to 40, yeah. you sure. know, two to three pounders. Too. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which, speaking of big fish, you got some tankers up there too. Yeah, Rainy Lake is a, I don't want to say it's a sleeper, but it's, you know what's crazy is it's relatively unknown. Like, mm-hmm. if you were to ask most walleye anglers, hey, you know, give me your five, you know, best walleye fisheries, I'm not entirely convinced Rainy Lake is brought up on a real regular basis. And I, I would say rarely. Rarely. I, I would agree with rarely. And what I think is it's an hour too far. You know, so if you were to say like, well, the bulk of walleye fishermen live in the Twin Cities, you know, that's mathematically, that's probably accurate. So you look at the craziest guys, you know, and you get two or three of them in a truck, you can day trip Vermilion and you can day trip Leech and you can day trip Winnie. You cannot day trip Rainy. It's just too far. And I think that's what keeps it off of people's radar. Um, You can go to Cabotogama and Namakin. It's, it's the same scenery, it's similar fishing, and it's an hour closer. Right. So I think when people start dipping their toes into the, the Canadian shield waters that are within Minnesota, they just stop a little short of rainy, and I think it goes unnoticed. And the flip side of it is the Lake of the Woods has so much hype around it too. Yep. That, um, And what I've come to realize about rainy is, so you got – the U.S. side of Lake of the Woods is just like more looks like, you know, fish is different, but more looks like Mille Lacs. It's kind of wide open. Sure. But you get up into Gussie country, mm-hmm. Sioux Narrows, Kenora, and it gets beautiful. But, like, for Bemidji up here, you know, that's looking at three, four hours worth of drive. Sure. You can get into that type of fishing on rainy right at the border. Yeah. You yeah. don't have to go yeah. yep. the extra two hours. So Yep. It, yeah, the, the U.S. side of Rainy is Canadian Shield. Yep. I would say that the U.S. side of Lake of the Woods is a bowl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can get into that shield-type structure and reefs and, you know, rock piles and points and stuff five minutes out of town. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's right there. Your, your, was your first experience on Rainy with me on the snowmobiles? I think so. I don't the, think the, I'd ever Sam, been there previously. Sam is an addict now. I, I, I said it. I was like, <laughs> again, because I've, I've been up to, you know, the north end of Lake of the Woods, and I just love it up there. And sure. Like, I tell my buddies, like, oh, we got to plan a trip. And then I went up there with you, and I'm like, you could day trip that from Bemidji. From Bemidji, you, could, you yeah. absolutely And I'm could. like, what have I been doing for the yeah, last it, 10 years yeah. in Bemidji not going there? Well, now you know. Now I know. Now, you know, Charlie's been up with me a few times. Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah. go ahead. What's, what's your favorite part about Rainy Lake? My favorite part of Rainy Lake, uh, oh, God dang, it's hard to not say giant walleyes. Uh, <laughs> aside, fr- aside from, uh, actually, I would say elite caliber species of of fish of five or six different species Uh, aside from that just the remoteness of it you know uh 
you just don't have to go that far and you don't see very many boats. It's, it's, um, you know, uh, Nick Linder and Charlie came and filmed with me last summer and we probably filmed for eight or nine hours and we saw one boat. I mean, yeah. one boat, you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, I've always kind of felt like, you know, in the park and then, you know, again on the Canadian side, for the most part, there's, there are very few cabins. You know, you don't, you know, this guy's not running a wood chipper, <laughs> yeah. you know, on a, on a Saturday morning. I mean, it's, you blast out of town either east or north and, um, you know, it's, it's as God intended. Uh, it, the landscape, uh, the nature, I mean, we see wolves and we see bears and, you know, an occasional moose and lots of white tails and, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you're one with nature. You never, never feel like you're fishing in someone's backyard, if that makes sense to you. You know, it's, it's wild. Yeah. yeah. The scenery is just crazy. Like you could just sit back and ride mm-hmm. in the back of the boat and just look around. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, like when we were up there, you, me and Nick, we were catching them pretty good doing some hooting and hollering and on any other body of water, <laughs> you know, you'd have like boats just coming in on us, but we didn't have to worry about we couldn't see anyone in any direction. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's wild. You you know, you drive, you kind of drive where you're, you, you know, I always have an idea in my head where I want to go, and and it's usually around, you know, piles of islands and stuff, and you finally come around the last point where you can see where you want to fish, and as a fisherman, you always have this, God, I hope there's nobody sitting there. You know, there's never somebody <laughs> sitting there. <laughs> And, and and the funny part is, if somebody is sitting there, it's a it's another guide that I know. Yeah, you know, so I'll pull up and hey, are you whacking them or, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. So Donnie, we talk about the scenery of Rainy Lake and why you love it, but tell the listeners about this loop movement of Rainy Lake that's different than say if a client or you know someone would drive across the border and want to fish Rainy Lake on the Canadian side. Okay, okay, so. Uh, maybe maybe some folks don't even know. Right. Uh, Rainy Lake is a is a border water that is 70 ish percent in in Ontario and thirty percent in the United States. Now um, we are able to perform a loop movement is the is the um, the legal term for what we do. So when you do a loop movement, there are no reporting requirements. Um, so what that means is we we can depart the United States loop into Ontario for recreational purposes and loop back down into the United States. If we never touch land and if we do not rendezvous with any other boats, Mm -hmm. there are no reporting requirements. We don't have to let Ontario Ontario know we were there and we don't are not required to report back into the United States. So in some instances, that is a lot less hassle than, say, driving across um, like an actual border checkpoint Mm -hmm. where you may need more documents and background searches and and so on and so forth. So there is a a little bit of a caveat uh, written into the law that a loop movement is permitted with no reporting necessary. Yeah, and I think that's a good reason to go with the guide the, like if you don't <laughs> yeah. know it's it's, sure. it's still border like you don't want to mess with any of that stuff yeah yeah you you want to know uh you want to know what you're doing there's um anchoring mm-hmm. counts as touching land like stuff A- like that anchoring counts as touching land that's yeah. that's true i've even been told 
I've been told by an authority that Spotlock is considered. And, and so I actually argued that one. I said, well, the definition says I'm required to be underway. Mm-hmm. Well, what is the definition of underway? Is my prop spinning? Is that underway? Yeah. I think so. So on spot lock, if my prop is spinning, I would think therefore technically I would be underway. underway. Yeah. yeah. So that one is a, that one is a, you know, that, that officer might've been having a bad day, but I, I will say for the most part, uh, every time I've been checked by Ontario authorities, they are extremely professional, mm-hmm. polite. I, I've never had a problem. Uh, one thing, if you're going to do this on your own, uh, make sure you know what's required in your boat. There are a few items you have to have in your boat that are not required by Minnesota. So uh, make sure you look into that or honestly shoot me a message on, on Facebook Messenger if you want, and I'll fill you in real quick. It's um, uh, it's just a couple simple items and can be picked up at, at most uh, outdoor stores on the border. Yep. A few items you're not permitted in the boat. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No alcohol. Yeah. Uh, no alcohol. And that's actually on the ice, too. Yep. A lot of okay. people don't know that. Uh, Ontario has a, a zero alcohol policy when you're on the water, and that it does include ice fishing. Yep. And that's even like canned, start away. You can't you, even yeah, have you, it there. Right? You don't even want to have an empty stuffed in a rod locker or something to that effect uh that's make sure your boat is free and clear before you cross the border yeah now that whole loop movement also changes for ice too yes yes now uh yes because you can walk on ice ice is considered land so there are a couple of options if you want to cross in the winter. Um, you can drive across. Once you drive across, you're legally in the country. You can yeah. do whatever. Um, you can you can get a remote border crossing pass ahead of time, and at that point you can you can cross like like say we want to run snowmobiles up like we did, Sam. Yep. We both have remote border crossing. We can leave right from my house up and over, go fish all day, come back. And when we come back, then we have to, we do have to report we're back in the United States on the CBP app, on the Rome app, um, which is super simple to do. Um, the other thing you can do is call Can Pass, which is a little more time-consuming. Uh, you, you actually snowmobile right up to the border in the middle of the lake and stop. Call Can Pass and give them your passport number, your snowmobile registration number. They do a quick little check. They give you a a confirmation number. You write that down, put it in. That way, if you get stopped, you can prove, yep, I reported in. Same thing on the way back, then back to the Rome app. So it, there's a little more to it, but it's not. It's actually, once you kind of understand it, it's pretty simple. And these are some of the things that might keep people from coming to Rainy Lake because they're kind of worried about figuring out all these different things yeah nobody wants to have their boat or snowmobiles right. taken or or yeah. go to you know jail or have to go to court in a foreign country that's uh but yeah for sure it's definitely a, hin- a, a hindrance or, or a roadblock or a hurdle to to fishing the canadian side of rainy lake but it's definitely worth it i think so <laughs> I, I think history would prove that it's it's worth the time and effort spent uh, bait is another 
hiccup, right? Yep. Yep. So what they, what are the current bait rules? <sighs> okay, open water. Uh, maybe year round. No, I, I believe that no biological bait can cross the border. Cross. So no live, no frozen, no okay. preserved. Um, I've even I've even heard of a guy with some attractant that got stopped, mm-hmm. really, and because it's made with biological material. Yeah. So the best bet with bait is to either be all artificial. Or stop in on the Canadian side at a bait shop, buy the bait you want to use, and save your receipt. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, take a picture of it on your phone and try to physically save the receipt. Um, I've been stopped before, and, and you know, the receipt, of course, blew away in a <laughs> in a snowstorm, and I was able to show them the the picture of the receipt on my on my phone, and that was good enough for that officer at, at that, that time. given yeah. time. Yeah. Yep. 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 So when it comes to open water, are you fishing mainly plastics then? Just to- I fish a lot of plastics. Um, well, we start the year throwing um, stick baits, you know, um, and then we'll go to pitching jigs and plastics to windblown rock piles or, or you know, windblown points. Uh, and then from there, I go to a, a real shallow um, trolling pattern on spinning gear, which is, a, you know, I use a ton of rumble bugs and rumble shiners, uh, like maybe for a month or six weeks straight. And those are, <clears throat> those are typically big number days. Those fish have just kind of pushed out, you know, to those first points or the weed edges. You know, if yep. you can, we don't have a ton of weeds on Rainy Lake, but boy, if you can find a good cabbage edge and six to nine feet of water with a little wind cooking in there holy moly you can't keep three three rods and rod holders i mean they're constantly just folding over um you know from there i'll go to trolling uh sometimes i'll I'll troll deeper baits you know as we're now we're progressing into late july and august um uh, i'm using live scope and pitching jigs and plastics uh you know a lot of the northland eye candies you know the one of the real secrets here and I, i don't know if a lot of people understand this they float they so so I'm turning my my Garmin and hey you know hey Brenda there's you know two big walleyes at 47 feet here and and if they can just drift that bait in those walleyes just crush it because it hangs horizontal it doesn't nose bomb down you know it's it's uh, a lot of times I like to have people pitch past close the bail watch it drop and then we close the bail and just let it kind of swing pendulum yeah yep. you know over over those and they see they see it coming and it's just you know you're like i'm like brenda hold close your bail and hold on you know and uh and they just i mean it's it's crazy when you guys first sent me those uh the prototypes I, the fact that it floated just i mean that's just it's such a it it's such an advantageous way to use forward-facing sonar, mm-hmm. you know, because you are constantly just putting jig heads on foreheads. There's no wasted time. Right. Like, okay, you know, Bill, here, Brenda, there, and you're just, you know. So uh, so I'll run that that program, you know, July and August, maybe a week or two into September. I will pull uh, crankbaits on snap weights. Um, you know, sometimes people don't – honestly, sometimes people are on vacation, they want to put their feet up and drive around. Yeah. So in that scenario, I'm pulling crankbaits. Uh, I really like the Rumble B. Uh, you guys, have, we've done some videos with them. Uh, you know, rod, rods in the rod holders and snap weights on and cruise rock piles and catch fish. I mean, it, 
sometimes what we do is more based on what the customer wants to do than what I want to do. Yeah. You know, so, but there's, uh, there's so many different patterns, you know, throughout the year. It's just, it, it never gets old. It's every day is a new adventure. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes we're there to, you know, try to catch fish on one way, but the fish, fish don't want it that way. Like we <laughs> had to put the rumble bees on and <laughs> that one day we were out there and then you cracked that 27 inch. Yeah. 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 We were actually on our way in. Yeah. Uh, we had, we had kind of filmed the whole deal and, and we, we caught a lot of fish, but no bigs. I remember I was like, God dang it. No bigs. Yeah. And we were coming in and we, we were just blowing by this reef that I troll a lot. And I said, God dang guys, let's, let's put these let's put these rumble bees on snap weights and just give it one pass and geez i bet i bet what do you, you think we went 30 feet in that rod no. i mean it just folded <laughs> over i said oh that's a good one when the rod tip ticks the boat that's a good fish yeah that's almost always a real good fish yeah donnie talk a little bit about your fall i know you transitioned from walleyes to another species that okay. that rainy might not be super well known for but there's there's giants in it okay uh yeah so so what happens in the fall with rainy lake walleyes is they become a little bit temperamental so what i mean by that is is we're typically still reef fishing at that point so um you know there's a million rock reefs and you can just kind of bump from reef to reef until you mark some and hey let's you know target these guys for a little bit um so so in that in that fall time a lot of the time you can you can absolutely whale on them one day and go to the same reefs the next day and not even mark a fish they're just gone and it's kind of my opinion that they're feeding on smelt and a lot of the reefs i fish are adjacent to or very near the deep water basin and i'm talking the abyss and and in my mind i guess i don't know for sure you know i i we always talk in these absolutes like like it's fact but i think the the walleyes dip off the rocks and they are gorging on smelt in the abyss you know so like there's almost no way to target them there's almost no way to find them yeah i mean have you ever tried I haven't. I haven't because with it's different with customers. Yeah. Like yeah. I, we need to be on fish. Yeah. You yeah. can't spend all day. <laughs> We're not gonna. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so, so when you go from you know real good days with with numbers of big fish to not even marking a fish, uh, it is good to have a backup plan. And you know a lot of those days will be two to three hours into it. And I'm sure I look like a lunatic to my customers, you know, just Wah! nothing, Wah! nothing, Wah! you know, so it's just reef to reef. And like you search two or three of them and you're like, ah, they boogied. So I will say, guys, I, we can grind this out. You know, it's from what I'm seeing, it's probably going to be a really, really tough day, uh, walleye fishing or, we can try to go catch some of the infamous rainy lake crappies and the the track record uh, with crappies on rainy lake is is phenomenal i mean they're they are big and they're aggressive and you can almost always get some you know if 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 you have a good 
checklist of spots, they're going to be in one of five or six places. And so, you know, most people, you know, they're like, well, we really wanted to catch walleyes, but you know, most honestly, most people will trust you. Like, yeah, if you think that's our best option, then then I say, oh, let's, let's button down your hats, boys and girls. We're going for a ride. You know, and it's, I mean, it's a jaunt. It's, mm-hmm. it's 25, 30 miles yeah. from where I walleye fish to where I crappie fish. So, uh, but we'll make the run and, and uh, usually we beat them up pretty good. Yep. They're happy at, by the end of the day when they have a 14, oh, 14 inch. Dude, if you guys, <laughs> if you guys have never seen, uh, seen or or targeted these crappies it's pretty insane i mean it's like i would say uh, the average fish we box is 12 to 13 inches and i mean you know just they're just i think they're a subspecies they're so aggressive like i watch i watch you guys interview you know good panfish guys and and clearly they're fishing for pressured fish you know, I'm using an eighth ounce fireball, <laughs> you know, <laughs> short shank. And it's, and it's like, you know, if it's, um, if it's windy at all or, or real overcast, you can set, most of the time you can set right on them. Uh, if it's, if it's bluebird skies and calm, you just 30 feet off them and pitch to them. And if you can get, if you can get a, a, a jig anywhere near these fish, they are racing for it, you know, and you're watching it all happen in real time. It's just people are blown away. You know, we all sit here like live scope is, is no big deal, you know, or because, because you, you're all in the industry. Yeah. Your average guide customer has never seen one, has probably not even seen it on YouTube. Right. You know, they're blown away. Like, no, you know, pull it away from that fish, Bill. That's just a nine incher. <laughs> yeah, the oh yeah, the one under it. That's the yeah. one you you know, they're yeah. they're like they they are they're shocked at where technology is. It's pretty and, cool. And most people just like getting bit, you know. Yes. Yeah, hook sets. We yeah. uh, us three here are I'd say we're multi-species anglers, but we really also enjoy catching bass. And it always, you know, we deal with a lot of, like, hardcore walleye guys. It's all they fish for. Sure. And, you know, walleyes have kind of the mystique and the, the special thing, but it always enjoys me when you get those hardcore walleye guys that were like, oh, yeah, I got on a school of bass. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, were they fun, man. Oh, yeah. They fight hard, and it's like, yeah, because you just like getting bit. Yeah. Like, so sometimes it's better to just go after the, the best bite. Yeah. Than to, to hit the mystique. Yeah, I will tell you last winter scouting. Have you guys ever caught smallies through the ice? Yeah. <laughs> a couple times. It's a riot. So they so, try to jump sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You hear them funk on the bottom of the ice. Uh, we found this crazy midday bite. Uh, our walleye bite that day in particular, it slowed. And so I jumped on my snowmobile. I said, oh, I'm going to just drill a couple other reefs and just scan, just see if there's fish there. And, and I drilled one out. I drilled five or six holes in this. This reef is is probably the size of two school buses next to each other. I mean, it's tiny, and uh, and it's deep abyss all the way around it. And I was like, I threw my lives going. Oh my gosh! And I thought they were walleyes. And uh, I didn't bring. I had a rod in the back of my snowmobile. You know, no bait bucket, no yep. no nothing. I'm like, wow, there's a spoon on there. I dropped that thing down and like eight smallies just, you know, like, oh my gosh. Well, I didn't know they were smallies, you know. Uh, I got one up through the hole and I I probably sat there for an hour just laughing, catching (laughs) smallies, you know, 
50 miles from the nearest human, you know, yeah. just having a riot all by myself. <laughs> That's awesome. They, yeah. they fight hard, and they do They do try to jump. We're not joking. One of the first ones I caught hooked into it, and I'm like, yeah. And I can see my, I can feel my line on the bottom of the ice. <laughs> going, like, he's dogging me away, and then all of a sudden he's like, I'm like, what is happening? And all of a sudden it went slack. Sure. He, he tried to jump and shake it off and hit the bottom of the ice. Yeah, so. yeah, it's... uh. Yeah, smallies are a riot, and, and uh, you know, if smallies are your thing, Rainy Lakes uh, is a great destination. I mean, we have a, a, a really big, you know, smallmouth tournament up there every year, the International Falls Tournament. Uh, the, the, the smallie fishing is incredible, you know. Might be worth a drive. Might be worth a drive. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough open water talk, I think. Yeah, yeah so. so. Let's talk ice. This episode is going to be launching right around the time, Donnie, you figured you're going to be on the ice on yeah. Rainy Lake. Yeah, so we, you know, uh, for those of you that don't know, Rainy Lake is a flowage. So we are typically a few weeks behind the rest of the state, where, which, which actually works out. Um, there are advantages to that. So late December and most of January is our early ice so so when bites are typically slowing down in some of the more notorious first ice locations because they're you know (laughs) six weeks into it we're on first ice and so it makes a real nice transition um you know if you're thinking like boy you know i've been here for three weeks and it's really got was excellent and has slowed down there are other places in the state you can go that are still on the first ice style or type of bite with aggressive fish so i think it was early this last summer you were telling me that you know you might you might get this vehicle but to keep it a secret (laughs) and you didn't you didn't believe me i i didn't believe you and then like a couple months later you just get a picture sent over (laughs) of of this sherp yeah so what tell us a story about how how you decide to get two of those i believe yeah yeah we we purchased um two sherps a 2021 and a 2023 uh how the sherp came about was i spent a lot of time last winter exploring the furthest nether regions of rainy lake like you would have to be a madman to go this far and I've always kind of had in the back of my head, like, well, this is where I go in the spring, summer, and fall. Why wouldn't the fishing be phenomenal in the winter? Mm-hmm. And I literally, I've never even heard of anybody going out that far in the winter. So uh, myself and a buddy of mine by the name of Joe, we started snowmobiling it, and it, it was brutal. I mean, it was a lot of, a lot of times took us, you know, we were seven miles an hour because of the amount of snow and drifting and it was brutal. And, but the, the bite we found was, it was next level. I mean, it was, it was run out of bait style days, like over and over again, where, um, we were just so blown away with the bite that. You know, now as a as a guide, my natural transition is, okay, how can I get customers here? Mm-hmm. And I think if you were to continue the, well, we're going to run them on snowmobiles, 
um, you know, as a business owner, you have to limit liability. Yeah, yeah. And r- not everybody can run a snowmobile, f- you know, 30 miles when it's 30 below zero. Not everybody wants to. You'd have to be nuts. Yeah. I mean, you'd have, you know, hey. You'd have to be a Donnie. Yeah, hey, yes, exactly, <laughs> yes. So, so we kind of started just looking like, oh, God, what other options are there, you know? So, you know, we looked at snow bears and, and um, you know, they float. We kind of thought that might be the way we go. And then we, then we, the, the problem that we had with the snow bears is one, they're not great in slush. And Rainy is notorious for awful slush. Not every year, but some years. I mean, some years it's, it's, it's unbelievably bad. Uh, so I thought, well, all right, they're not good in slush. You know, we're, you got to limit liabilities. We can't really take snowmobiles. And we, we discovered the shirt machine kind of by accident, uh, a rescue, uh, a county rescue team had one. And I just stumbled across a video of them breaking through the ice and crawling back out. And I thought, holy moly, that's, that's, un- that's an unbelievable ability to, to break through and be able to crawl back out with zero assistance. I thought that's, that's, um, heated heated cab heated passenger area can haul eight people um i i know the more we looked at them the more we said this is it i mean this is the machine that makes the most sense for what we're trying to do so we agreed that we would go halves on one and start a new guide business um doing ultra remote adventure style ice fishing trips Mm -hmm. And we both we both kind of said, yeah, well, we'll go halves on one. I mean, they're pretty expensive. So we went our separate ways for a week, and we were chatting, and, and uh, I said, Joe, I hate to say it, but I think we need two. <laughs> and and he said, I actually kind of been thinking about that myself, and because where we go, there's nobody. There, if we were to just buy one machine get customers out and that machine for some reason were to break down. Yeah. There's nobody, yeah. nobody's coming by. I mean, there's, there's, we saw more timber wolves last year than people. Yeah. We saw one snowmobile track. I mean, there's nobody. And so the more we kind of hashed out how we were going to do this, we kind of said, we, we got to have two, <laughs> you know, and the only thing going to pull a sherp out of a problem is, probably another shirt (laughs) so uh we did end up we did end up buying two and uh and now we're just patiently waiting ice actually shirt number two is on the ice today yeah 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 joe trailered one uh probably 50 miles north of i falls just looking for ice yeah and uh, he sent me a couple pictures they're they're out so he found uh what we did find is five inches of ice will hold it Four will not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I think kind of the cool thing about the Sherp is, like you said, it's the ultimate vehicle for you. It does all these things, you know, thin ice, can crawl Mm -hmm. out of ice, Mm -hmm. can crawl a bunch of people, you know, haul a bunch of people. Um, But the problem with it is it comes with the price tag. So it really doesn't make sense unless you're running a business like you. But it's also a really cool opportunity. Like, 
we all wanted to say we wanted to ride in the Sherp. So now you, you're kind of... <laughs> We're waiting for Donnie's invite. Yeah, 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 you're, yeah. you're kind of selling a Sherp ride with some bonus fishing now, too. Yeah, yeah, there, there, um, there definitely is that aspect to it where... Um, you know, you always, you always, as a guide, you always, you just, you focus so hard on putting people on fish that sometimes you do lose sight of the fact that the adventure is, yeah. is part of it, For sure, you know, and, and for, you know, for some people, we, you know, we're in the industry, so we take the fishing part so serious mm-hmm. that sometimes you forget the adventure is, is where it's at for some people, yeah. uh, you know, my first year guiding, I, I learned a, a, a lesson that you don't want to steal somebody's vacation day mm-hmm. by, by being a grumpy guide, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. you can't get, out, get them on fish or the fish won't yeah. cooperate or whatever. So uh, the adventure, the boat ride, the sherp ride, you know, all of that stuff adds up from the customer's point of view. So, yeah, the sherp ride, I mean, why wouldn't it be, a, you know, a, a, the super cool part of the trip? We'll mm-hmm. probably catch some fish. Yeah, you know, blame the angler if you miss a fish. <laughs> you know, we always take the fishing part so serious, probably, probably infinitely more serious than the customers do. Yeah, you know, for so. sure. Well, I, I think that's like a huge part of it because, like I talked about the first time I went with you, and after I was done, I felt like I knew you for ten years. <laughs> You're my buddy at that point. Yeah, we had why, a good day. Why wouldn't I come back? The next time. And sure. I think even you were like, oh, I was hoping the fishing would be a little bit better. <laughs> I, was. I was like, the fishing was great. The company was great. We, we lost our bait and had to go in a little early. But again, I had we had caught plenty of fish by then, and I was oh, yeah. able to hit the road and get home. So I, I think, like you said, the creating the experience is so important, so much more important than the exact quality of the fishing. I know we've had other... Uh, guides that are Northland staff that they said they learned very early on they had a rough day they caught like two or three walleyes and he goes ah, I'm sorry guys like uh, this is the worst sure. worst day of guiding I've ever had and the customer goes what really that's that was the best day of walleye fishing I've ever had in my life <laughs> yeah. so it's it's all perspective relative you know they're yep. just happy to catch a walleye yeah most 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 customers are happy to not be pounding nails or hauling sheetrock or sitting in a cubicle somewhere yeah. for most people that's enough yeah. <laughs> you know They're happy that's to be enough. on the lake yeah for yeah. sure yeah. yep so uh, ice guiding is a little different than open water guiding did you start ice guiding up there right away or is that something that kind of came on uh, three times spent up there I, I didn't actually the the first winter i went back uh, Tamora, and and went back to Union Construction, and I made it about six weeks, and I had gotten a few calls about some ice trips, and and I you know I was thinking, geez, I'm not really set up for it. I don't have piles of flashers, and you know my snowmobiles are from the mid nineties, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, and I just. You just, you know, in my mind, everything's got to be top shelf. And I just, I tried going back to construction and I just couldn't do it. I think the walleyes missed me, you know, so. Or was it the other way around? Yeah, it might have been the other (laughs) way around. Uh, So I just said, you know what, I'm going for it. And so that first winter I did, I don't know, enough to, you know, keep the wolves at the door. 
And, uh, and then, you know, we started getting more aggressive about advertising winter trips and, and, uh, it just kind of grew to, um, you know, mostly it's, it's, it's customers I have in the summer Yeah, that, you know, a lot of, a lot of my customers are from Colorado and Kansas city and, you know, I mean, from all over the country and these are areas that don't ice fish. So they're, they have such a, a, a good time in the boat that, you know, you just, a just a little bit of, of boat conversation about ice fishing and they're so intrigued that, yeah. oh, we got to come back and see what this is all about, you yeah. know? So, uh, being, being now that I'm six years in, I'm almost a hundred percent returned customers and that that's winter and summer. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's almost impossible even to get into my book. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of how the ice guiding, uh, came about this, I just didn't want to shovel concrete anymore. I, you guys can't, you, you don't blame me for that, do you? No, not one bit. Oh, I shoveled enough concrete. And the walleyes missed you. And the walleyes missed me. Yeah. Now, I don't know, you guys haven't even touched on the pike by the head last winter. Get into the pike. How, how did that come about? Tell tell people, do you do you know your pike stats off the top of your head from last winter? Oh, yeah. Oh, Let's yeah. hear the pike stats. Yeah, so, uh, so 43 over 40. Uh, the biggest last year for a customer, I believe, was a 46. The heaviest was a 44. That was as big around as my chest. And I did not fish in March. All those pike uh, are through the ice. Uh, yes. Yeah, all through the ice. Yeah. So um, so last year, remember I said I did a bunch of exploring. Um, I also needed some income. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I thought I, I had grown up tip up fishing and, and, uh, I've done, you know, now I'd say I probably have walleye fished more, but for most of my adult life, uh, my ice fishing was tip up fishing. And so I have a real passion for big pike through the ice. And so does my good buddy Trent. And so we had kind of developed this bite. It, it's, uh, it's hard to describe. It's slack water on a river system dumping into a big lake and we so we knew that big pike were in the area and we were drilling one day and and dropping a bait down and i noticed it didn't move and the baits always swing downstream and i thought wow that's interesting that's interesting (laughs) slack water and so what i've learned sturgeon fishing over the years is the biggest fish do not fight current. Okay, so I think to myself, well, I wonder if that applies to big pike. (laughs) Turns out it does. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, the craziest stat. So so I kind of publicly announced um, on Facebook, I'm going to try to catch 40 over 40 in one season. And, like, that thing gained momentum like crazy. I had people messaging me from... Anywhere in the world you catch pike, I was getting yeah. messages. It was yeah. it was bonkers how many people were tuned into this thing, and so you know daily I would put out you know hey you know you know pile of them to thirty nine no forties or whatever. So I I kept kind of a a live time counter going on Facebook, and uh, we ended up uh, I fished uh, maybe a little bit in December, 
some in January, some in February, and and then I had pre-booked crappie trips, so I couldn't continue the pike run. But yep. we ended up at, at 43 over 40. Wow. Yeah. That's yep. crazy. Yep. Impressive. Northland Predator rigs, perchy perch blades with the one-out hooks. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and you're planning to do that again this year? I, I am not, but uh, my partner on that bite, um, Captain Trent, is going to run the pike trips. Sweet. So, I mean, if anybody's looking to do a tip-up uh, pike trip, you know, you can message me directly. I'll, I'll shoot you right over to Trent, and and he'll get you set up. Possibly a 40-incher. Oh, golly. I, do, I have, a, I have a, an affliction for big pike. I, I, there's just, they're just special to me. Pike over 40, are, I think they're a different critter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, that's, that's a huge fish. <laughs> Especially through the ice. Yeah. Through a 10-inch yeah. hole. Yeah, 10-inch hole. Yep. Yeah. And you're kind of right, too, about the the worldwide breadth of pike. Like, some of the most viral fishing videos, I feel like, are pike because pike are crazy huge oh, in yeah. Europe. Oh, and yeah. It, people just love it. They they eat them up. You know, here, I think sometimes you take it for granted. And yes. You're like, ah, just another oh, pike. snot rocket, <laughs> yes. slime ball. Yeah. But, uh People yeah, the the bite. you know the over forties are are they're special fish. They're um, even uh, so. I'll tell you, I I do take a lot of what I would consider walleye snobs fishing, mm-hmm. and I mean these are the type of guys that curse pike. Yeah, they're all smiling when they've got a forty rod. <laughs> <laughs> Every one of them. It's the largemouth bass effect. It's getting bit by a big fish yeah. that pulls. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The Ferrari of the water. Yeah. Yep. Um, back to big walleyes. What are some of your? And these can be like clients catching them. But what okay. are some of your biggest ice walleyes uh, up on Rainy? Oh. You know, early early ice on rainy is you actually have pretty good shot at a at a thirty. Um, I've had several crest uh, the thirty mark, lot of fish over twenty eight. You know, one of the maybe one of the differences between rainy and and some of the other fisheries is in the winter. You know, we're probably not going to catch bucketfuls. Mm-hmm. You know, you might you might only get ten fifteen bites. But none of those bites will be a very small percentage of those bites will be saugers. Yeah. It's it's really walleye heavy, uh, and every hook set has a chance to be a really big walleye. Well, and when I what I noticed when I went up with you is we still caught bucketfuls. Just the buckets filled faster with yeah. less fish. They were, <laughs> <laughs> they're all quality fish. I was really impressed by the size yeah we um, when we went up there because it was good numbers it was we had it wasn't like trophy hunting it was good numbers but um you know we were up there trying to get some nice photos and stuff too and all those just beautiful photo fish yeah so our our forage base is is i think it's ridiculous i mean you you know we catch 17 inches that you look at them and you have to measure them three times like no way that's a 17 Mm -hmm. you know uh and i have the the biggest the biggest walleye i've seen where we go was a 32 last year and it was it was an absolute behemoth i mean it was a freak of nature you know and and i've put customers on a couple of 32s in the summer that that fish that owen caught that 32 that owen caught was that thing was next level i mean i i'm not this kid's 17 years old i wanted to (laughs) strangle him (laughs) i've never caught a 32 (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's 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 a giant. Like, yeah. most guys have never got one. Oh yeah, I, it's just in, that that it was an insane fish, and and that was one of those days we ra- actually ran out of bait. Like, <laughs> like we're all sitting on different reefs, you know, like yeah. a, maybe a half mile to a mile. And, and I ran out of bait, and I thought, well, I'll just cruise over here and see what the, you know, these <laughs> pull up on the, the next guys, and I'm like, yeah, we're all out of bait. <laughs> you know, I thought, holy moly, what's going on? So. Good problem to have. It's a good problem to have, yeah. Yep. So what are the some of your favorite spoons spoons that you're running for, for walleyes through the ice? Oh, well, I, I have always been a buckshot flutter spoon aficionado um the glass buck shots did really really good for me last year um in blue the blue silver one and then the the, um, little bit gold or perch one Mm -hmm. those were both uh absolute killers uh and then when sam came up i don't know if he intentionally left me a pile of super glows or if i grabbed those when he wasn't looking (laughs) but from from that trip on, I used a lot of the super glow uh, stuff that wasn't available, and it was I mean uh, it was shocking how well it worked in our stained water. Yeah. Uh, I've uh, honestly I've never been a glow guy. Yeah. I've never been. I always kind of thought it's a waste of time because um, I never really noticed a difference with it. But boy, with that super glow, it, it made me a believer. Uh, and it's not like you have to glow it every 10 seconds, yeah, you know, right. that's so, I mean, I was having dead sticks get hit, you know, with a, a super glow coffin spoon Yeah, and, you know, out working with customers or whatever and look back and my, you know, my snare rods just curled <laughs> over. And so I kind of became a believer in glow because of the super glow before that, before the super glow, I, I never glowed anything. Yeah. Right. So. You, did you use that super glow blue up there? I do. I do. do yeah. You like it. Yeah. Yeah. So blue for me, uh, if I could pick one color to fish rainy the rest of my life, it'd be, it'd be blue. And I, yeah. it doesn't matter what bait I love blue. I think, I think that blue is going to make a comeback every time we launch a blue blue something the pro staff always want but <laughs> but the the sales force never wants it because historically it's a poor selling color it's always the first to get discontinued but the past few years i think just with the amount of knowledge and stuff that's out there and what you guys can do on social media sure that blue is becoming a consumer favorite okay and, and when we first came out with that super club blue i was a little hesitant. I was like, oh, I don't know if it'll make it, but I think I've been hearing reports from consumers, pro staff. I think that Super Glow Blue is going to be one to stay a long time. And, and that thing is ridiculously bright. Yeah, the, I said. Yeah. I think the blue is blue is probably the third longest glowing okay. out of the four colors. Sure, but sure. it still glows. Yeah, yeah. the, the blue time. one is impressive. I've yeah. been kind of telling people like that's the one that I, I like the most it, yeah, the it, sleeper the, that's going to be the best seller next it'll, year it'll be the sleeper this year yeah. but i think uh it's getting a little bit more uh you know use the word mainstream it's, <laughs> it's getting a little bit <laughs> <laughs> no i think i think uh the pro staff guys are you know getting sick of blue getting you know discontinued 
because they were kind of trying to keep it a secret. Yeah. And now they're, you know, guys are sharing it because they they want to keep having blue for their personal use. For sure. So now you know they're sharing that, but blue's always been kind of like a secret color that the secret tournament color that none of the pros want to talk about, and then they wonder why it gets discontinued. Yeah. That was Bro's case for the longest time too. Yeah, Bro did not talk about it for a while, and then. He always begs me to get blue, and I said, we got to start pumping blue, and now he's always pumping blue, so yeah. <laughs> it's catching yeah, up. What happened to the blue? Well, you didn't tell anyone that it catches fish. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. discontinued. Because he's trying to keep it a secret is what he's yeah. trying to do. Yeah. Same with Donnie. I keep no secrets. <laughs> I do charge for them. <laughs> <laughs> What's your craziest ice guiding story that's okay for the podcast? Do you already know this story? Is that why you're smiling? No, I don't. I don't. Th- well, I don't think I do. So one with the auger. No, no, no. Oh, that is a good story. That's a good story. But no, it's not as good as it's not okay, as good. Okay. So I have a an Iranian doctor and his buddy, and uh, and when he booked the trip, he was very very adamant about a shore lunch and i i just don't do shore lunches when we're ice fishing but um i capitulated for some reason i'll never understand and so we did pretty well in the morning and i'm i did shore you know a ice shack lunch for these guys and i i guess part of it was i was probably thinking these guys will never have the chance again to taste fresh walleyes i mean you know we caught them that you know they're an yep. hour old yeah and so the afternoon bite was awful. And this guy looks at me and, and he says, I ride snowcat. And I said, excuse me? And he said, I ride snowcat. And he's pointing at my bear cat. And uh, I s- was like, uh, I don't know about this. <laughs> so I, I fired it up and I said, look, it all looks the same. It's rocks and snow and pine trees. Stay where you can see the houses. And he jumps on the snowmobile. And I actually had my nephew Tucker with me that day. And I had him set up just in another hard-sided house fishing by himself. And I would kind of bump back and forth. And so guy takes off. And he's just kind of putzing real slow, doing little figure eights and stuff. So I go in the shack and sit down next to his his buddy. And we start BSing or whatever. I grab a fishing rod and fish a little bit. And, like, I don't know how much time went by, but it dawned on me that I could not hear the snow <laughs> anymore. So, so I, you know, I poke my head out the door and kind of wildly look around. And, and I mean, this guy's nowhere to be seen. Yeah. And, and Tucker from, you know, 80 yards away said, Uncle, he's gone. <laughs> I said, yeah, I see that, buddy. Uh, so... So I'm like, I don't, I mean, dude, if you, if you go the wrong way up there, yeah, you're going out and the direction he went is there are no resorts, no cabins, no roads. It's wilderness for hundreds of miles. So I was like, oh my gosh. So I said, Tucker, you come sit with this guy and I'm going to track him down. So I you know, get on my other sled and I have to stay on his track. And uh, I found him 22 miles away, snowmobile out of gas, sitting on snowmobile crying. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I had to tow the snowmobile back. And uh, 
So, so we get back and I mean, I don't, I'm not a master of hiding my emotions. I think anybody <laughs> that knows me can read me pretty well, you know? So, uh, we get back and, and, uh, Tucker had already warned this other fella, like probably best if you don't say anything when my <laughs> uncle comes back. <laughs> so I get these guys, we get them back to the landing and, uh, and, uh, the guy, he needs me to send him an invoice to square up. He, he doesn't have any, any, he didn't, he didn't have any cash, no check, no, you know, no card, no nothing. And, yeah. and, uh, so I forget what his total was like for the fishing, the shore lunch, the extra gas. Uh, I think it came to three ninety or something. And uh, so I told him, I said, "Well, this, you know, the invoice is going to come through. It's going to, I'm going to make it for three ninety. And, and he looked right at me and he goes, "Make it four <laughs> hundred." <laughs> now, I I think I held it together pretty good. Uh, but that nephew of mine is, he's 18 now. And sometimes he will just call me and I'll answer, you know, oh, hey, Tucker, what's going on? And he'll just say, make it 400 <laughs> and, and laugh and hang up. <laughs> you little bat bugger. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably the, and there's been some pretty wild ice fishing stories, but that one there is, is, that's pretty top shelf. Tell us about the auger too. That's a good one. Well, I believe I was taught to believe in the rule of duplicity. And the rule of duplicity is it only applies to ice fishing. And that is if it's worth the effort to bring one, probably better bring two. And so when you go snowmobiling way out with customers and break your auger before you can drill one hole and the customers look at you and say what now and you say trips over <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good look <laughs> so now you bring two augers i i bring yeah at least two if not three yep extra drills extra batteries extra blades extra augers i mean it's it's different when you're guiding, yeah. you know? Yeah. So the last thing you ever want to look like is you're unprepared or you didn't see the pitfall coming. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's people only have one of two reactions when they pay a fishing guide. And it's either I want to be your best friend or this guy is a crook. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it seems as though there's no middle ground. So, you know, any little hiccup, can just reflect negatively on you as a as a businessman yeah. so yeah you just want to be prepared for that stuff and and uh you know it's my life lifetime buddy zippy piccadilly that taught me about the rule of duplicity and it has come in handy that's a good story well i got tons of them how much time <laughs> we got <laughs> donnie let people know about your ice business and how they can contact you um, so rainy, if there's any open dates even. Yeah. Yeah. There are. So yeah. So rainy Lake remote is, is the name of the, the winter business. We're running the Sherps. Um, you can follow rainy Lake remote right on Facebook. You can message us directly from the Facebook page. Um, you can follow me uh, on Facebook, message me directly. 
or my partner in the winter business is a guy by the name of Joe Ronkin. Uh, you can message him directly. We both have remote access to the calendar. Um, we can both take deposits, get you set up on the calendar, kind of run you through all the details of the trip. Uh, as far as availability, we do have some. I We try to limit it. We can do groups from 1 to 12. Mm-hmm. Um, 12 is pretty aggressive. Yeah. Uh, we are, we try to limit each day to eight, you know, and that, that puts us in a good spot. If there's an emergency of some sort, we have the capacity to bring everybody back in one machine. Yep. Um, but yeah, I probably following our Facebook page and, and, um, messaging me directly through that is the best way to get a hold of me. If you don't already follow me. And they can see all your big fish photos too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously we're a little slow getting going because we don't have any ice yet. Um, But, yeah, you can definitely scroll through uh, some of last year's pictures and get a a real good idea of what we're doing. You know, the quality of fish anyway is, is, is pretty superb. Well, Donnie, thanks for coming on the show here. I think it was a was an awesome podcast a ton of good stories out of you i hope all the listeners made it to the end here um and yeah we really appreciate you coming on we're gonna have to have you again because i think you have more stories to tell yeah we we've barely scratched the surface (laughs) so stories can also be heard in person folks captain donnie everybody (laughs) book a trip you know where to find him (laughs) northland fish and tackle fisherman's favorite It's a fisherman's favorite